Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. Also, make sure to donate to Extra Life. We've got a link down below in the description, or you can even join the Indie Game Business Extra Life team. That link is down in the description as well. Here we go, Indie Game Business. Uh, my name's Indy, and that gentleman right next to me is Mr. Jay Powell from Powell Group Consulting, and this welcome to Indie Game Business. Today we have Barack David, and we are talking about growth strategies and future studio business. Thank you, Indy, and, and, and welcome, Barack. It's good to good to have you on here. You and I have circled each other for years, but you know we finally got a chance to catch up and, and talk a, a couple of months ago, and so. Wanted to have you on here because it's one of those great stories of success in the industry uh, and hoping, you know, you can share some stuff along the way. So, you know, we'll start out very basically. And so how did you get into the industry initially and, and walk us through your career to this point? So, um, as you already maybe guess or not, so I'm uh, from Israel originally, and uh, my career started when uh, I was uh, in the army, so in a cyber unit of, of the IDF. I was there an officer for a few years, and then from there I jumped to, to the high-tech uh, career. I did many roles. As, uh, I, I grew up from, from uh, the development, from the technical side, so I'm a, a computer engineer. I grew to a role as a group manager, CTO, chief innovation. I was working in a few Israelis, a startup and their corporate. And then I had a feeling that I need to do a, a shift in my career. I understand that uh, the business is more interesting to me and uh, less the technology. And also I really wanted to work in a B2C industry and the gaming was sound amazing basically and i think it's one of the amazing uh, industry that, that there is and then i joined platica as a director of operation and after i did my role there i joined uh, murka as a coo and i'm currently a ceo of murka after it was acquired by the blackstone group and i'm uh, leading the day-to-day the -day running the company so responsibility end-to-end this is, you know, in a, in a one sentence uh, about myself. So is, tell folks a little bit about, uh, you know, Merca, because that's going to play into a lot of what we talk about today. You know, we're going to be looking at growth strategies. And at the end of the day, it's like how you stay alive in this industry you know, for, for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But yeah. give us a little bit of background on, on Merca and what you what they first started doing versus what they're doing you know today so murka is the in the base is a ukrainian company it was founded uh, 10 years ago uh, from the social casino uh, industry they from the beginning 10 years ago there was a lot of innovation the market was you know in the start of the start and uh, they start running out really like you can imagine from the garage, like steps to step with developing new games. And they start growing. The, one of the current uh, most successful games that we have is a scatter slot. That is something about five years uh, uh, live and growing and is the top chart in many, many uh, ranking. And after it came, uh, also right now we have a title of Slotzera and Infinity Slot. So really it's like small and family company that started and grow step by step by step. A very big milestone that was, it was one, one year ago. It was acquired by the Blackstone Group. A very big investment and it's created a lot of uh, vibe and of uh, innovation of business and to do things even better than what was done until now. 
just for understanding, Murka today is approximately 600 people. We have five offices around Europe. Um, four or five main, main titles generating hundreds of millions per year. So just in, in February, we were ranking as uh, the 20th place in the EMEA publisher by revenue. So I can say that things were great. And now we're in a phase that we are turning to be more international and international standard. We are growing and go, going this direction. So, ah, sorry there. So what are some of the, you know, the key aspects that has sustained the company for so long? Uh, I mean, er everything moves in this industry. I know 10 years ago, we were actually getting towards the twilight, you know, the end of, of the big, I don't know if you want to call it the big fish games era, where the casual market was completely dominated by these $20, you know, free to play demo and then you know you buy the whole thing hidden object game uh now in the casual market that's pretty much all free to play and we've had a huge growth in uh the casino titles that you're doing right now but you know what were the key things that you've done along the way for the last 10 years to you know to keep Merca moving forward and growing like this so I think that the main the main part uh, was about innovation and product innovation, and that was one of the dominant dominated part that uh, driven Murka for many many years, and uh, really like engage based based user that uh, stay with the company for very long. Uh, we kind of have a niche inside the market which uh, the main characteristic, if we can say that in the social casino. It, 70, 30, 65, 35 uh, women and, and men. So we have kind of 50-50. We have kind of special niche. It's a progress game. It's kind of uh, unique in the industry. And I think that what we are doing in the last year, which is to create a, a massive growth. So we craft a business strategy with the understanding and start developing many, many new games with the understanding that we must develop more games. We must develop and create a new new genres and extend our portfolio above social casino. So yeah, just our, our usual note, if anyone's out there, you know, whether you're watching on, on YouTube or Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook or wherever we all are on any given day, if you've got questions, I mean, this is, you know, completely interactive. If you've got questions along the way for, for Barat, toss them up in chat. We will see them uh, on our lovely StreamYard dashboard and we'll get it answered you know, live for you. So, you know, 10 years ago when you came in as COO, did you have a specific uh, so, strategy? Yeah, yeah just to, to make sure we understand, I joined Morgan not 10 years ago, so I, I joined in, in the last year. Oh, okay. So, yeah. yeah. Right. So I, I can say what, what we are doing since then in, in more details and uh, it was driven, first of all, it was driven by the acquisition of Blackstone that insert a lot of, uh, first of all, uh, enthusiastic, but again, more business oriented to a really kind of fam fa family company that driven and start growing and growing. And from that point, uh, we start, uh, we craft a business strategy that basically was driven by horizontal and vertical growth. So first of all, we start in the horizontal way, uh, in the vertical way, we start developing more layers in our current game. We added more layers of uh, long-term uh, retention uh, features. We added more layers of live ops. We adapted our economy. And basically we created a lot of, <clears throat> sorry, a lot of innovation to our current uh, products, which lead to a growth of almost 50% since the beginning of the year which some of it, of course, were driven by the COVID, but some of it are still with us and was driven mainly because of our innovation in the game. So this was the first layer. The second layer was the, um, to start our, to, to open our accelerator division, which is separate division from the company that basically acting as a small startup and developing frequently many, many small games. Uh, we launched since the beginning of the year, uh, almost three games 
two from the uh, social uh, casino. One is more casual, and we are aiming to grow there. So we are aiming to at least release another two games at the end of the year. On parallel, we open our uh, casual uh, division that will generate frequently uh, many uh, more, more casual games, like board games and so on. So we are starting to put a lot, a lot of pieces in the puzzle in order to create growth and in order to continue what we have been doing and take our expertise to another uh, spot. So to, to your question, it's really about crafting a strategy. I believe that <clears throat> many companies are not doing it. And as you mentioned, start digging and rolling around and see where, where it's take them. So we have another... Uh, Completely another uh, plan. We are having. We craft a strategy. We follow it. We adapt it accordingly. And basically, we are driven growth step by step by step based on this plan. It's it's, it's interesting because it's one of those things that, and you you brought it up with COVID. There's so many things on a normal year that you know can toss something to you know, toss a plan to the wind. And then you have the pandemic, like we've had it this year. How do you effectively build a strategy, but still, you know, have some flexibility in there in case you have big market changes? So th this is the interesting part. So I think that first of all, in order to do it correctly, you must adapt your structure, your company structure, to support your strategy and you need to have a business strategy with is let's say 80 85 percent accurate and to follow it and then you need your 15 20 percent force which will be agile inside the company to support changes for example if you now have a game that need to push you can relocate this this team and i think this is the main point so <clears throat> First of all, not to get in love in your plan and to understand that everything needs to be scalable and changeable, uh, uh, but to have your boundaries because things that can happen to many companies is lack of focus. And when you have lack of focus and you try too many streams and then you are trying and then you are hesitating and then you are moving to another place, it can create a, a frustration because nothing is growing. So you need kind of your boundaries, your limit, but in the same time, you need to keep your uh, your plan in agile enough. So this is basically how I see things. All right, and that's a good idea because it's it is. You never see, you, you never know how things are going to affect it. I mean, and we saw the pandemic has just created a, a gigantic market for a lot of. You know, a lot of these games, a lot of, especially social casino games. I got a friend of mine who runs a social casino game, and he sent me a text one day, and he said, "Did, did the U.S. just get their um uh, their their revenue check or the whatever the, the the support check from the government?" And I was like, "Yeah, how did how did you know?" He goes, "We saw our you know revenue just absolutely spike on Monday morning," and he's like, "I figured that's what it was," and it's like it is. Um, we have that wonderful person in Twitch again. Sorry. Um, so how how did you adjust over the last year, over the last, well, not year, but, you know, eight or nine months to, you know, what's going on with, with the pandemic? What what kind of challenge did that throw in into the mix? No, I think that in the beginning, it's created a lot of uh, uncertainty. Uh, we didn't know how it will affect, if it will be for positive or negative. Of course, that you are. We created a plan to each scenario. We didn't know what is going to uh, happen with the UA. We was not sure what will happen with uh, with the user activity, payments, things like that. But we were ready. The moment we saw the spike, we put all our teams to work to release faster <clears throat> our plans, and basically we were like working around the clock 24-7, I can say in those months, in order to provide the requirement that was from the user because people play much more. And if they're playing much faster, you need to provide more content. And 
so I think that we shift, I don't think, we shift in this point many of our uh, resources in order to support the growth of, this, of these titles. And yes, of course, it was great. And I think that for the people also, it was great because they had the games, you know, it gives you a comfort when you are sitting alone, a lot of uh, uncertainty in your life, what will happen, and it gives you like the few minutes of comfort in your day. And I think it's amazing. From the business perspective, so of course the growth was amazing and uh, we supported it with all our tools, but we need to see the other direction because after the growth coming, the slight decrease, and then as a business, you need, you need to know to adapt your uh, your plans and to know also not to get frustrated when you see the numbers are kind of still high, but getting back to normal. And I think that I talked with many teams in the mobile industry, and I think this is something that we are all kind of suffering right now because everyone wants to keep this high that was in Q, Q2, but uh, it's, not, uh, it's not easy and you must be not frustrated, but to, to, take, it, to take advantage of it and not to take it uh, for, for the negative side because it, it might happen. Do you think overall you have acquired more users that are going to stick with you? Because you know, we know that the longer things like this happen, I think that it's not just the mobile industry. The whole industry is waiting for you know that rubber band effect from that revenue to get pulled back and, and everything to start going in the other direction. But do you think at the end of the day, you're going to end up with more users than you had originally, or you think it's going to completely go back to, to normal or even less than normal? So I think that uh, right now we are kind of post-COVID, so we can already say that uh, I don't want to speak for everyone, but Q3 was not dramatically, but lower than Q2. And you have these two effects. One is the summer that is basically a more that's a lower uh, season. And from the other end, you have this post-COVID. So it was like extreme summer uh, for people to get around and to, you know, to 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 enjoy the, the outside. And I think that the KPIs are now starting to stabilize after the grow and then the slide drop. So I think that the main, main test for the industry to see how much have left from this growth is to see in Q4 uh, what will happen. <clears throat> we know that uh, in US we have the election now. We know that it might be a second wave of, of COVID. So anything can uh, can uh, go wrong. But I believe that companies that know how to save this this growth and know how to take so-called advantage of the of the boost that the COVID gave will be able to create this growth and the, after a slight drop in Q3, we will be able to grow again. Yeah, I, th I thought it was, you know, good for you all that you feel that you're on the other side of COVID. We're not feeling that so much right now over here. Um, so over the last, I mean, throughout life of, of Merca, and then obviously <laughs> for having a first year as a COO in the industry, you've had a, a hell of one. Uh, you know, what are the, aside from the pandemic, what are some of the big changes that, you know, you've seen that the company's seen and how did they, how did y'all adapt to them? So first of all, yes, it was a very challenging and uh, <laughs> it was, uh, I think, amazing experience. So first of all, the world is changing. Yes, we can talk about the operational things that lead us to people work from home. Uh, you are locking down five offices and you have 600 employees working from home, which is not going to change so fast. And I think that everyone in the, even high-tech industry understand that the rollback will be very, very slow. So you change the way we are working. And I think that there is a big challenge of keeping the engagement of, of the people. So we were kind of three months, all the offices around the, uh, around the world was, was closed. And basically we communicated only by 
as we are communicating right now. And uh, I think in the beginning it was it was great, by the way, because uh, people basically didn't have a lot what to do. They work harder, so their engagement was even better. And then after a while, you see that, uh, you know, this uh, coffee break uh, conversation, the lunch together, that create, in the end of the day, people talking this create the innovation, the creativity, because the good idea come bottom, bottom up. And that is why we started uh, coming back to office as an optional. And right now we implemented an hybrid uh, hybrid uh, uh, structure when people are working two, three days and uh, have the ability to be very flexible. And I think this will stay with us for many, many years because the necessity of offices start decreasing because the world understands that we can work even without it and work very well. So if we are talking about challenges of this year, this was a challenge, but also again, create an opportunity to decrease cost and things like that. So everything is going to both directions. Are you all going to keep the hybrid model? Are you going to look into going back to the office full time or, or is it going to be, you know, more remote work? How do you see that playing out? We see, we see a lot of different answers and a lot of different, questions from from folks in the industry how how do you see it working out for you all so i believe in personal um, personal relationship and i think that people should have a place even a fun place get get out of home talk about each other and uh, basically they will have a lot of uh, um, energy from coming back to office I can tell that after the end of, let's say, the quarantine, we asked our people and we all agreed together about hybrid model because this was the demand. And because in some different places, people are still a little bit, um, you know, they have this kind of fear and then you need to work in capsules and if something will happen in the office. So it kind of hybrid model right now which is very flexible and we are really like open uh, uh, to, to our the, the suggestion of the employee. And basically it's as, as you feel right and you as an employee have the ability to decide if, if you want to come or not. <clears throat> I think that uh, going only to uh, offline and working from home is a little bit uh, risky. Because in the end of the day, we're in the gaming industry. We need to innovate. We need to collaborate. And when you have people sitting next to you, it's much easy. And also the connection to the company and the friendship that uh, that create and things like that are working much better. So I don't believe that offices will disappear. And I don't think that there are companies that will close offices for good and will not open it again at all. I believe that the uh, hybrid model uh, will stay with us for at least two years um, and even more because, you know, two years is a period that can change the how, how you see things. And um, after it, we will need to, to wait and see, but I think that the, still the connection of people to, to a workplace is something that is uh, important. No, I, mean, I, I, I agree. It's, you... I've been working from a home office for a decade at this point, but you do, you have to get out. You, it, if it's nothing else for a change of scenery to, to see something different other than your own four walls, you know, for the past year, like we have now. Um, all right. So we have a question in chat. Was it John Ingeser from LinkedIn was curious when you were talking about the the size of the teams and how you've got multiple teams and you take 10 or 15% of them kind of keep them agile. How big are the teams that you typically have on your games? So it's depend of the, of the size of the game. I can say that if we're a very small game, we can have like even five people that working as a super small team. Um, in our accelerator division, we have uh, 30 people that working as a commando unit and they have all the expertise. I think that the ability to, and we have, of course, we have, okay, I, I will give a little bit be better answer. So you have layers, you have the marketing that basically give um, 
pro- provide service, let's say, to the game. We have the infrastructure, we have all the analytics and the BI and all of this, which this is shared resources. And on top of it, you have your studios that basically uh, we have uh, sizes of games. And uh, according to the size of the game, we, ha- we have the teams, which divided to the R&D teams and the products that working basically as an, uh, a joint, joint force of teams. So I believe that in the first period of a game, and basically if you're talking on a simple game, casual game, it can be up to five people. Because, you know, each people that you are adding, you are adding complexity and then the efficiency is dropping. But if we are talking about developing a super complicated uh, slots game, you want you might need few development team and you might, might, might need more. So basically, you need to give the studios that will work and provide them shared services that basically are the knowledge of the company. So what do you consider a small game? that's being done by one of these five-person teams? So, a uh, small team, you, you want to talk about uh, uh, from revenue perspective, from DAO perspective, or from, you know, technology perspective? Nah, technology, game, games, we don't need to go too deep into the, the revenue side of it, but, you know, is one of the social casino games, is a slot game, a small one or is that much bigger so when we are talking about slots game i can say that uh, all around the industry it's kind of heavy uh, teams that can be even hundreds of people Uh, with murka working a little bit in more agile ways so we have a smaller team but few dozen of people that basically divided to two main category you have the slots uh, development department and you have the feature department that work together and this can be even up to 100 people in the more dominant game and on top of it you have the layer of analytics and the monetization which working with the tool that the game provide so it can be even up to 100 people that working on the same game but if you are talking about scales of a few millions uh, monthly active users and uh, a few millions uh, of uh, monthly revenue so of course you need a team to support so i mean you brought up a good point with the business intelligence and the analytics and, and that's such an absolute key part of especially mobile games now, but free to play in general. What indicators do you generally look for in the analytics that you get when you're planning your strategy out, you know, a year, three years, five years? What what are the main things, the main KPIs and the main market points that you're looking for? So basically, this is the one million dollar question. It's a so I can say that as a management, uh, you will look at uh, more dominant uh, KPIs as, for example, um, DAO, revenue, ARP DAO, uh, of course, CAC, CPI, retention, and then you will calculate the ROI and the payback. Payback is our main uh, prediction model to, to understand where we are standing. Uh, so this is, let's say, for more management, both perspective. But uh, when we are digging into the game, so basically today we have a super strong uh, data and analytics department that analyze every step in the game on the level of how much time to close an in-app and if there is an engagement with the feature, how long the engagement. And according to it, we are doing many, many uh, adaptation in the game because in the end of the day you want to create a balance between retention and monetization and in order to have the, the good retention and DAO but the revenue that you need so you need to find this balance and in order to find this balance is very in a very complicated ecosystem you must be able to metrics everything and when you're adding a live ops it's need to be take into consideration all the other metrics of your internal economy in order to not break something. So I can say that today we are super data driven and we measure and test everything uh, along the way in order to create a better uh, user experience to our to our player that it's even starting from the UA. 
So we have a customer journey from the UA part, which I can discuss later what we are doing there, up to the engagement in the game. And we can predict even from the UA part what will be your engagement. So this creates you a lot of uh, models to work. And to the second part of your question, you know, you are talking about prediction for three years, for five years. So, you know, with all that happened this year, you can understand that it's very, very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> there are many companies that know really like you know precisely to test what will happen in five years you know so we, we are trying to to plan a, a two years in advance uh, and basically more accurate one year in advance and even in the quarter level we are doing we are doing a, a adaptation according to to the to the matrix and according to what we see in the in the industry, what we see in our KPIs. Are you looking for a publisher for your game? Well, we have something special just for you. It's the most comprehensive listing of PC, console, and mobile publishers in the industry. Over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites. You can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list and you can get it for free check it out Yeah, I had a client that came to me a couple months ago and he's like, I'm just a little concerned about our revenue, you know, 12 months from now. And I started laughing and I'm like, I'm concerned about revenue six months from now. So if you're good for a year, trust me, you're doing fine. That's um, I, I can say that I'm concerned on the revenue tomorrow morning. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the end of the day, in our industry, and you need to be very relaxed. It's kind of wave. Yes. You just, you cannot grow all the time and it's kind of way we just need to save that, to be sure that this wave is in a growing tendency, yes? And the dynamic overall are growing. And I can say that if there was happiness and let's say excitement in Q2, in Q3, it's got much relaxed. And now in Q4, you want to boost it again in order to at least compare to what you had. So this year, I believe that we'll, be a great year for every mobile gaming that was operated since the beginning of the year. If not, it will be a little bit weird and they need to ask themselves what they could have done better because this year created a lot of opportunities. I am more concerned of 2021 because, you know, industry are tend to grow and it's all about the money. You know, we are in a business session, so it's about the money. It's about investment. It's about create a, a consistent growth and after a boom uh, which was natural but a little bit even not natural uh, it's a very it will be very complicated for companies that will not know to will not know to adapt their uh, strategy and to scale their portfolio to create a, a more growth uh, in the following uh, let's say even in 2021 so uh Athena Alliance from Twitch had a really good question. Um, she said she's interested in your thoughts on free-to-play mobile games from the East. Uh, Genshin Impact was mobile, and it's now available on Steam and console. What makes companies in China and Japan able to have that business model? And, and I'll add to that, you know, have you all looked beyond mobile into to bringing the games to you know, PC and, and console. So personally, and as a company, we are not doing so. We had a discussion about it in a kind of January, uh, in the beginning of the year. And we decided to skip this. I think that in the Western world, uh, it will be more and more mobile. And this is like trend that we can see in the last few, few years. And it's becoming, you know, the phone is something that everyone have now and it will go more and more and more. I believe that in some point the PC will will disappear. 
and we will have tablet and, uh, and mobile. No, because I could say that uh, I'm basically using using tablet uh, for my day to day work. So, and ninety, let's say eighty percent of my work I can do in in my mobile. So, I don't see it as a let's say from more. Um, free to play game and more casual and let's say easy games to play i think that the mobile is the dominant uh, but you know when we are talking about uh, the asian market you know we are talking about india about china is a very big industry for for themselves yes the india mar uh, the india market is one of the growing market in the last year and the prediction that they will grow even more so this is the most growing market in the world uh, so, and they are a little bit behind of in few things. So I think that for them it might make sense. I'm not an expert of those market. I must, uh, you know, confess. But um, for now, and even now, we are working on five platforms. You know, iOS, Android, uh, Amazon, uh, uh, Facebook, and Windows. Uh, but now when we are developing new games, we are basically working in two platforms, which is uh, iOS and Android. So it's all about cost effective. So if you think that you have enough potential on those markets, you can scale for us. And again, it's the same point that I mentioned in the beginning to keep a limit. Yes, you need a good strategy with a lot of, uh, you know, uh, option to scale, but you still need your limit in order to not lose focus at all. All right, so I'm going to, to deviate here and ask you the question that I always love to ask people who work in the social casino space. Why is it that people pay real money to play slots on their tablets that are never going to pay them real money out like they do in Vegas? Look, I will answer you in a very uh, political way. When you are going to see a movie, you are not earning something like physical from it, right? You are earning fun, entertainment, you have a good afternoon, you see a movie, you are eating popcorn, and it makes you fun. This is the same things. We are providing entertainment. And people enjoy it from the excitement, they enjoy it of the progress, they enjoy it of the meta games. They have many layers that in real slots game you don't have because in the real slot game it's all about the money and here we are providing the excitement along with more easy way to play it's a freemium play so you can play you know basically all of the reels that can play without paying given one dollar and again it's now and if you will ask yourself how many services entertainment services I am uh, I'm using without getting something physical because you are going back to the money. But money is getting something physical. And when you are paying Netflix, you don't get something. You are just sitting on your couch uh, and see movie and, and it's fun. And for me, if I'm a very uh, fan of uh, slots game, and so for me to play in scatter slot and to enjoy it, you know, by using my phone can be a better than see a movie. So why not? And... I think that the main point that we need to be able, and you can see it from comparing like online slot game on real money and the social casino, that the social casino have a much more layer of entertainment in order to keep you excited of about what is coming. So, my my favorite answer to that question was like eight years ago, just as these games started taking off, and a good friend of mine was was designing them, and I asked him, and he said, "I have no idea." <laughs> but I was like, "Fair enough." All right, I mean, so when you are talking about the social casino space, and people do have the people that don't play have their perceptions it's like okay well whatever you're doing a slot machine or you're doing you know poker or these are games that have been around for years you know centuries sometimes even in the physical space how do you diversify that offering you know and, and are you targeting specific 
titles at specific demographics that you see coming, you know, popping up and, and growing, but, you know, how do you keep it fresh with something that's been around for, you know, in the real world anyway, as long as it has? So I, I will divide my answer to two. First of all, in order to insert more users, you need to do a good uh, user acquisition. And user, good user acquisition is based on, for us, we are doing 95% of our budget is automatic uh, manage. It's my own opinion. And we have our prediction models and, you know, it will take us to the question about the IDFA that is coming. And we basically know to predict and we have our models to be able to to acquire uh, our audience uh, that is more relevant for us and then the conversion rate is better and the CAC and CPI are lower. So from this end, we know how to do marketing. We have a very successful and uh, uh, professional marketing uh, side and our ML algorithms are learning all the time and improving and improving the, the art even and everything is being like automatically improved all the time and we are learning how to to promote so this is one hand from the other hand yes for main title that five years for us for example scatter five years in the industry <clears throat> uh, it's not easy to keep it uh, to keep it fresh and to keep it innovated but we have a great product team that uh, create trends and know to provide this entertainment and it's take you to the previous questions so why they are staying so if it's not for the money so why because we are providing good entertainment and this is why you need to innovate and you need to create a great uh, story for your players in order to stay so i know we went from my own experience eight ten years ago as the social casino space was growing it was very ip based you know which intellectual property from movies or television or nostalgia or you know what have you that was what was drop pulling people in and we see it in the in the real world today i mean my favorite slot machine to play when i do go out to vegas is the Hoy the fortune one it just is i don't know you know why are you still seeing intellectual property and, and licensed ip you know as, as essential now or is it easier to build a strategy around original titles without having to worry about the licenses so it's an interesting uh, question and a very good one um, i see it and again it's my personal uh, perception that if you create a good game you don't need an ip and, but this is, a, again, about your business model. Uh, there are many companies that base their, their success on IP and on, you know, familiar, uh, familiar characters and so on. We are not acting that way. And I think it's, we had, prior to my joining, there was a, like, a, there was an experiment and it was failed. And uh, I can say that I believe that today, it's more about to innovate and to create, for example, a slot, to create good slot. And with good meta games, with innovation feature that enable you to just play the slot and have fun, you know, have excitement, things will happen. And if you are doing it good enough, so the scheme uh, will not be very uh, important, you know, that it's IP or not IP. But if you are doing, let's say, more common slots that are very simple, so maybe then, yes, you need it because it's a balance. You need to have something. So based on that, you know, what aspects of the market right now, you know, and the genre, all of that, are you seeing as stale? And where do you think it's going to go in the next year year and a half you know for especially for social casino games you know what's what's missing where where do you want these games to be in in 12 24 months so i think that um, 
the prediction for this year for the social casino was very moderate. Uh, they were talking about 5% increase and uh, basically that this market is full and uh, there is no a lot of potential to grow. But then we saw many new competitors that kind of take all the cards and change a lot of what we assume. So I think that uh, it's given a lot of boost to the, to the industry to continue grow. I believe that we will start to see more mixed genre and that you will be like, it will be part slot, part meta game, that it will be combined. By the way, this is what we are doing right now in our accelerator. So to create a strong story, it will be developed uh, with the slot. So this is what I believe. And honestly, I believe that this industry will continue to grow, but uh, to the teams that will know to take advantage and innovate and to understand that there is opportunities. Uh, because I can say it was my concern also in the beginning of the year, the prediction was not good for the industry. And then there was a boom. And in addition to this boom, there is many new applications that basically are top right now. And how they did it, they created great games. So again, it's about the content. If you have a good content, you can do it. Is, your, is the primary market still women 35 and older for these games? Mostly, yes. And it's much more, let's say, a woman than men. It's, as I said in the beginning, it's kind of 65, 35. Uh, in Murka, by the way, we have 50-50, and we have a little bit a younger audience also. So it's, again, if you find yourself this niche inside and you create something that's a little bit different, it's enable you to, to act differently and to get a different result. So... Do we, so that's actually leading to the next question here. Are we at a point, you know, where we're going to start seeing some, for lack of a better word, mid-core casino games? You know, the competitive player versus player type stuff that we see in strategies and RPGs, for example. I mean, because match three games are as casual as they get and now there's you know games like gems of war it's been around for like six years you know doing this are, is it already there and i just haven't seen it or because you know the market this market yeah. far better than i do so look uh we can see it as uh right now there are many features let's say no totally games if yes so i'm not familiar with that uh, give you the social uh, element that basically people are playing together, not the ones against each other. I can say that we at Morka in Scatterslot, we have few uh, meta feature with competition. That for example, uh, you have uh, the board of uh, snakes and ladders and then you are competing uh, other users. So it's kind of, and it, this is driven by the slot, but... Uh, Yes, to your question, I, I, you know, it's competition, but it's also a social element. So as long as the world is going to distancing, uh, I believe that, yes, the social element will continue to grow and maybe we will see some surprises and that uh, there will be more competition and more engagement between the user. Uh, also the fact that, yes, slots in the end of the day, it's like, uh, let's say it's... Uh, you are playing with yourself. This is what was, you know, years ago. So, but yes, I do think that the social and the competition element will create, will, will grow with the understanding that people want to engage and people want this personal collection. All right. So, so the next question is, is, is from me, but I just saw our friend, Indie Game Lover, <laughs> pop into the chat. And one, I hope you have some sleep that you've gotten over the last 24 hours indie game lover, because she's one of the folks that does so much work with the pitchy game uh, project that went on, you know, earlier this week. Do you see a opportunity out there 
for smaller indie teams to do stuff in, in this space? Or is it going to continue to be, you know, the the playhouse of, of the bigger companies with, with the UA and all of that kind of good stuff? So look, uh, I think that the risk and the more challenge part for small teams is that they need to create a uniqueness. And they need to create a game that will, you know, catch like a fire. And because, yes, we have and bigger companies as us have the UA strategy, have the UA capabilities, they have the budget. There is, you need a lot, millions of dollars in order to, you know, launch a game successfully. But as we see every year, the industry is growing also with the more, more uh, competitors, more small studios. And I think that the advantage of those studios is the ability to move and uh, to be very agile and to be very fast. Oh, yes, I think that there is an opportunity, but they need not to do more of the same. They need to do something else. And in addition, you know, the mobile mobile gaming is one of the most invested uh, uh, area right now. Yes, you have a lot of money getting in. There is a lot of market of investors that want to get into this market. So basically, if you create yourself an opportunity, uh, you will find the money. The money now need to go somewhere. And we saw it. Uh, if you compare Q2, it was one of the lowest uh, quarter from investment all around the world. The only industry that got more investment than previous year was the mobile gaming, the gaming industry. So a lot of money will get in and a lot of money create also a lot of opportunity. I mean, that was what I was going to ask, because I heard over the course of, you know, the last eight, nine months, everything from, oh, my God, the investors are hungry and they're all over the place to, you know, companies throwing up their hands and, and swearing that there was no investment opportunity out there at all. So it has, I mean, it has grown over the last year. We didn't lose, you know, that much investment. Just what you're saying. I said that we didn't lose. We even have more investment. And I think this uh, trend will continue as it's one of the growing industry. Yes. Not many industry grow in this, uh, in this time. And I think it will be a consistent growth. It's industry that was, were growing much fast before so now it's even more driven to grow which another industry are declining or even disappearing um so yes and i think that uh, people that are more like inside it know that also evaluation of companies and what you can get on what you have is going high right now so because you know there is a lot of uh, a lot of money and then companies are uh, increasing their evaluation and their self-evaluation, basically, which is good. Uh, we saw a few mega transactions in the last uh, few months, and I believe this trend will uh, will continue. But in the end of the day, if you are asking about the big teams, uh, big and stable company vs. the small one, so I can say that Murka is a little bit, it's kind of in the middle. Uh, at the end of the day, the big companies... Uh, have most of them have a strategy of uh, MA, so they are kind of eating the small companies and creating a much bigger organization, which is good uh, because there are all the time there is uh, changing and so on. So I know we're we're almost up to our hour here. It, it, you're busy. I don't want to keep us going too long. So if you've got a question out there, toss it in chat. Let us you know hit it up in the next four or five minutes. What are some of the warning signs that a company should look for, you know, as they're in, you know, the game space so that they don't get, you know, left behind? You know, obviously, game development has always been something where you're constantly shooting at a moving target when it comes to, you know, gameplay and tech and all this other stuff. But you know, what are some of those things that, that companies need to look out for that need to be paying attention to so they don't get left out to dry? So I think that the first point, which is, by the way, to each industry, but 
especially in our industry, it's uh, not to get in love with your product uh, and to be open to the option that you did mistake and the user didn't like what you have done. And to be a, basically the industry is very data driven, but uh, you know, in order to be real data driven, you need to be not to, to put aside this uh, psychological bias that tell you, okay, this is what I want to be and then bring in numbers that will support. So to be from one end to not get in love and from other end to be a data driven, it will help you uh, to be scalable and to adapt accordingly. And I think that the second point, which is very important to create all the time. So I can say that uh, in Murka, we had a phase uh, that we didn't develop new games. And we understand that in order to grow, not this year in 40%, but each year in 40% and even more, uh, we must create more and more and more games to check the market, to see if it's working, to, to release, to adapt, to release, to adapt all the time, quantity, quantity, quantity. And at the end of the day, you will catch this quality. And this will help you to be in the loop, basically. But, and that's it, I mean, because... We know that we have to constantly iterate. The, I think the challenge for a lot of indie teams is they just don't have the the resources to be able to do that. Um, it's one of the reasons that I I love these pitching game things that that Liam and, and Tom and you know, indie game lover have been doing because every month the developers can sit down and, and show what they're doing and say, hey, look, this is what we did the last month and this is what we did this month. So. Um, it, yeah, I agree. It, it's just one of those things that is hard for a lot of these smaller studios to do it, so, even though we all know they should. I can give a tip on this. So what I'm suggesting to do is to keep a unit inside your company. It can be 10, 20%, which you are saving for this kind of thing. And you are very aggressive on the point that, but we need to finish it in this team. No, this is a separate team working all the time on creation. We decided five, six, ten people, they are working on that. That's all. The other company on the revenue that basically keeping us alive and grow. So I think it's about decision and to be very aggressive about it because sometimes you are deciding to have these people, but then, but this is very urgent and then you are start using them. So I think that this is a, a tip and even smaller team. So you have a 20 people team, you can have two people that will generate the experiment. Just like a, what was the the disaster movie where they sent Bruce Willis and everybody to an asteroid to put a nuclear bomb in it or something ridiculous? And at one point they're sitting in there in NASA and he's like, "You're NASA. You have people just sitting in a room thinking shit up. That's what you do, and you really do. You need to have an aspect of your company that's sitting in a room and just you know thinking shit up." And, and working on it. Uh, right. Thanks so much for coming on. This is awesome. You know, and I'm, I'm glad we were able to get on here and I appreciate all the advice. Do you have any, any closing thoughts, anything that you want to toss out there while we wrap it up? So if I can talk about it, so the last sentence that I will say, even if you're a small company, sit, craft a business and grow strategy understand what you want, define yourself milestone and main pillars that you want to, to to achieve this year. Follow this plan. Don't get disappointed of things are going wrong and be based on this plan, be agile. But pre-thinking and pre-planning, this is the key for success. And thank you very much also for inviting me. It was a pleasure and I hope that uh, it was interesting to all our listeners. I'm sure it is. But that's what we do. We bring stuff to the stuff. That's what we do. Exactly. Um, so yeah, as always, you know, if you're a see indie game lover, she says she she missed a lot of it. All of our stuff is always available on YouTube. It's free. There's no paywall. Go to go to our YouTube page. It's indie game business. Uh, you can find it on our Facebook page as well. Basically, go wherever you need to go and search for Indie Game Business, and you'll find us, our podcast, and these streams, and everywhere else. Uh, so, don't forget if you aren't on our Discord, we've got a um, 
awesome community of over 1900 industry professionals at this point. So just go to discord.gg slash indie game business. We'll get that set up. And yeah, this is, this has been fantastic. And so if anybody's got questions, you know, Barack will be, you know, around somewhat on the discord server, but you know, always happy to help. And, and I appreciate you coming out and, and, and taking time to do this. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk soon. Yeah, and also I just want to add one more thing. Uh, we're raising money for kids with our uh, our, our extra life. It's extra-life.org slash team slash indie game business. And let's help raise some money for kids. We'd appreciate it very much. We're doing, so you can either do a donation directly or you can join the team and, and you know, help, help us do it on your own. So, yeah. All righty. Thank you, Thank much. you so much, everybody. Thank you, Barack. Thank you. The rest of your Friday and, and your weekend. And so be safe, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.